0: This is Make Something Cool, I'm Alex Sugg. Today I am super stoked to be sitting down with Danny Miranda, who is a podcaster and content creator. Uh, We just got to meet in person a couple weeks ago at the recent Sam Parr and Sahil Bloom event here in New York, and it was the exact little bump I needed to get you on the podcast, been following you for a while, man. Super stoked you're here. Thanks for being on the podcast, man.
1: It's an absolute pleasure. I've noticed your your avatar pop up in my mentions a bunch for the last, I don't know, year, maybe two, potentially. And so it's finally it was great to meet in person and, and great to have a conversation with you today, too.
0: Yeah, man, for sure. I think that's actually a cool jumping off point. I think you see me in your notifications a lot because I love what you write on Twitter. And I think the first thing I wanted to open up with is I think when I think of Danny Miranda, the first word that pops up in my head is optimist. You mm. seem like you strike me as a very optimistic person. And so I think as I'm scrolling through my Twitter feed, it's not a lot of optimism. And then I'll see your, your tweet out there and I'm like, hey, this feels good. I'm going to like that or I'll whatever. And that's kind of where I wanted to jump off is where does that optimism come from? It seems like that's just a huge part of who you are.
1: Yeah. Well, I had that as the first word in my bio for a long time, optimist. And I took it out. I don't remember exactly why I took it out, but it definitely is a good way to describe me. And the optimism comes from just understanding that it's almost a choice. It feels like a choice like to be happy or to be sad. And I just know that I do better work and I am better as a human being when I choose happiness and choose the positive side of things. And it's also like I've been the things that I've been through like like depression or not feeling like not feeling excited by the things that I was doing on a day-to-day basis. I know what that feels like and I know what it feels like now when I'm loving podcasting, I get to talk to these amazing people. I'm like, how is this my life? I get to go to this person who I followed for years and I get to talk to them like this is so crazy. That makes me an optimist. So um Yeah, all of that is uh, is where it comes from. For sure.
0: But it sounds like maybe it wasn't always that way. So if you you said you have experienced like depression things in the past, have you gone through that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think in your in my early twenties, I found that I was I was just trying to find what I was good at and what how I could be useful to the world, right? And when you are stumbling across a bunch of stuff. And it's not hitting and it's not it doesn't feel good or you're not good at it. You're like, what's the point of this? Like, I'm not doing things that I enjoy and I'm not really that all that great at it. And I'm decent at it, but I don't enjoy it. So like what's the point? And then it's like, I think a lot of it comes from the path of life that I was I went down, which was like middle school, high school, college. It's all structured for you. Okay, do right. this and go to the next thing. Complete this test and get this grade. But then like you find out life isn't actually structured like that at all and right. it's one moment you are you you're just trying to figure yourself out. And so yeah, I mean that that contributed to the depression and feeling down is like not knowing what the right path was and feeling like I was writing the story to this book that I didn't know the answer to. Mm-hmm. And so I think um You know, you spend time exploring yourself, learning about yourself, and you come to a better realization of what you value and what you care about and what you're good at. For sure.
0: Yeah, it's weird to think about like what society, you know, we have it kind of built in, especially in the U.S. where it's like, yeah, you kind of do the 12 years of school, go to college, get the degree, and you live happily ever after. That's kind of the story we're sold from a young age is like, this is how you like, you know, it's your ticket to a happy, fulfilled, successful life or whatever. And it's just not true because once you're out of that system, it's a rude awakening when you're just like, whoa, all of this stuff has kind of been like laid out for me. Now I have to go define what I want my world to be. And I feel like you're, what you're describing is super common where like people kind of lose the, that's like the that period. I feel like a lot of my friends and people who I kind of grew up with, I feel like the time when most people kind of lose themselves, quote unquote, or lose sight mm-hmm. of like, who they want to become. Maybe they stop dreaming a little bit bigger. Like It's those years right after college where you finish up and then you're kind of wandering aimlessly a little bit. You're not directed by anyone else. It's all self-directed, self-motivated, which is not the most intuitive thing for a lot of people.
1: Especially because like I was saying before, no one teaches you to self-direct. And I don't know, where were you brought up and raised?
0: Albuquerque, New Mexico.
1: New Mexico. So I'd be curious to hear if it was similar to this for you. But my whole life being raised in New York was all about external facing. Like it was about money. It was about status. It was about what college you went to. It was about what grade you got. These are all external markers to show Mm -hmm. somebody else you're whole. What I realized and what the huge unlock for me was, oh, I need to look inwards to figure out if I'm whole. So instead of the external markers that I was taught, I need to go into the internal markers of like, am I feeling joy? Am I feeling whole inside myself when it's just me alone? And for a lot of people, especially who are raised in the external environment, they've never looked at themselves. so They don't know what internal wholeness looks like. And so I think it's why the podcast has resonated with people at a deep level is because I'm coming from the place of like, yo, I'm good with me in a room alone. And that at the foundation is something that a lot of people haven't experienced because they haven't been taught that. And so that's what I'm coming up with. But what about you? What was your experience like when you were raised in Albuquerque? And was that an external facing society as well?
0: Somewhat. Yeah, I would say it's definitely different than New York. I mean, New York is, you know, it's the, there's so much money circulating. There's so much flash and people hungry for like that external validation, which I think is what yeah. you're describing. And that certainly existed in Albuquerque. I think that more so, I like to say it's the biggest small town in the world. So everyone mm. everyone kind of knows everyone's shit and everyone kind of know like you can't, like when I go back to like visit my mom, you can't go to like a grocery store or a coffee shop without running into somebody or someone who you like, I went to grade school up through high school with. Like it's pretty small, but it's just big enough to like, have stuff going on too, so I mean, it was it felt very much. I think the the biggest thing I experienced, and my wife and I moved out to New York when I was twenty five, so it's five years ago now. And what I realized when we moved out here was that I never felt like I had the freedom to ch- like safely change. Like mm. I think people in Albuquerque, because it was so small, you kind of get stamped from like a young age of like this is who Alex is. He's like the musician. He's like the guy who. Hardly goes to school, whatever, like whatever, whatever label you put on, or that's the jock, that's the whoever. Mm-hmm. Um, those labels kind of stick with you. And I think that that was kind of damaging to a lot of people because life is about growth and change and shifting. And, and to so what you said earlier, it's like a lot about deciding who you want to become. Mm-hmm. And I felt like we were very, my wife and I both, we talk about this now of just like identity wise felt very boxed in of like, we, it's, it's not a safe place to grow here. Because mm. everyone kind of judges it or doesn't um, accept it. Meanwhile, when you come to like a New York, everyone is like growing towards something and it might be unhealthy. Like it might be th- the other extreme where it's like a lot of external validation. To me, it feels like a lot of people who are like seeking love and but they're trying to find it in work or money or the things you're kind of describing. But growth is never an issue. Like The more you're growing in New York, the cooler you are. You know what I mean? So that, that was good for us. But yeah, I felt like the, it was much more like this. It was a hard place to grow in, I think Albuquerque was.
1: What was the label that you were given by Albuquerque?
0: Oh, man. So I, I was like a musician. So That's how I got my, mm-hmm. my start. So I didn't go to college. I chose not to go to college. And I became a touring musician when I was like, I think I went on my first tour a week after I graduated high school and I barely graduated high school. So like I had like a 2.6 or something, whatever, like the minimum I was like the shittiest student of all time. But, um, but yeah, so I, I think I was kind of known locally as like, Oh, he's the, he's the guy trying to make it in music. So I was like touring, playing lots of local shows, setting up lots of local concerts and things like that. And then eventually, you know, kind of growing into bigger and bigger, venues and things like that which was kind of which was kind of cool um did you feel like you made it not at first i felt like i did when i actually started making my living from music which was right before we moved out to new york and that's when i started writing music for film and tv so i started like as a composer essentially touring really hard to make a living as a musician that was like tough dude like i could tell you stories about the crazy shit you see when you're like a broke, poor musician, (laughs) like that's, that's a different world. But, but yeah, once, once, uh, you know, when you're writing, you know, I was lucky enough to work with brands like, you know, Facebook and Beats by Dre and Airbnb and write music for some of their stuff, which was really cool. That's when I kind of felt like, Oh wow. Like this is a real job, a real living I can do. But yeah, I think the label was probably like, I'm also kind of a serious person. And I think Mm. Albuquerque has a, a very laid back mentality and I think I got a, I got shit a lot of my life for being like the serious guy like when everyone else was like partying or whatever I would like take my laptop to a coffee shop and just like grind away on music like working um, totally normal here <laughs> yeah right? exactly, exactly very normal in New York like very very culturally uh, similar I think but yeah I think I was probably like the brooding musician is probably what I would be labeled as
1: in those early days that's really cool. To hear that backstory, and it's funny because I was describing to my aunt about how different cities change or value different things. Mm. So, like that's the Paul Graham idea of like L.A. whispers be more famous, New York whispers make more money, etc. And so she was saying to me, "Oh, like I used to think that I was born in the wrong time period because." she doesn't value money as much as the average New Yorker. Yeah. But she's like, after hearing that, maybe I was just born in the wrong place. Right. And, and it's like, there's something more, like, I don't think my aunt is going to go ahead and move, but it's like, if you're in your 20s and you hear that, maybe you do go ahead and move to a different place. So 100%. I, that, that takes it from something that's out of your control to something that's more in your control. For sure. If you think about it like that. Were you born in the right place? it's uh, a good question. Some parts of me, yes. Some parts of me, no. And there's a part of me that's like longs for the internal peace. And I mm. didn't get that from New York ever. And so I, I went and moved to San Diego, not seeking internal peace consciously, but maybe subconsciously. And that really evened out my personality and gave me yoga and meditation and inner stillness and ability to come back to the present moment and looking at my thoughts and awareness, things that I didn't have when I lived in New York. So to answer your question, like there is part of me that's incredibly ambitious, like driven to achieve incredible feats. And that part of me is New York born and bred. But yeah. the other part of me is like, yo, I want to be internally whole while I'm going after that, which is a tough thing to navigate. So kind For of sure.
0: Yeah, those two worlds are really hard to balance. But I would Mm -hmm. say, like one thing, just from like observing from afar, I feel like you know a lot of a lot of the guests who you talk to, it seems like a lot of your interest is in like the self help space, somewhat of like whether it's fitness. And I'd love to talk about like your interest in fitness later on and stuff like that. How that how because I know it's a huge part of who you are and like what you care about. But yeah, whether it's fitness or business or all these spaces, I personally struggle at times because I feel like these spaces can be somewhat sterile Mm. but but i feel like you you kind of have one foot planted in like this self-help world but then you also have this other foot planted where you're very connected to your heart and like Mm. your your inner being like i I think you interviewed what's naval's brother kamal kamal yeah 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 yeah. um about his book and maybe you could talk a little bit about that but i've always from afar it feels like you have this balance and you're you're kind of just describing it of like Crazy big ambition, which is badass and awesome. And but also this connection to your heart. And I think I kind of resonate with both of those things. Because I, I know a lot of people, like I'll listen to like my first million, and you'll hear here's Sam Parr. That dude is like self-help through and through, just grind, be a dog, get it done. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say like when I think of heart connection, I think of Sam Parr. <laughs> no, no, no slight against him. You but wouldn't. I, but I think like there's something that's really cool about having that connection, but it's also kind of tough to balance the two. Would you say that that's a, a fair assessment?
1: Very, very fair assessment and, and very true. And I don't think I would have that had I not, one, spent time in San Diego, two, spent a lot of time meditating, and three, read Love Yourself Like Your Life Depends On It by Kamal Ravikant. And I think there's a pureness that comes through. Some, someone remarked to me, like, the best way to describe me is by the word pure. Like, I'm just, hmm. to that person, I felt pure. And I think that's true. Like my intentions are not to make money. My intentions are really just to help people at a deep level and to do it at scale. And like I think it comes through. I just I genuinely do.
0: Yeah. Do you ever find conflict in those two goals where you're like, I want to have the the biggest podcast in the world, but also I want to be at peace in my own like soul. Like do you do or you feel like they? They just go hand in hand or is there ever conflict there?
1: I mean, I don't think there's conflict because I think that the more and deeper I get with myself in terms of my own insecurities or the own things that drive me, the more and better of a communicator I am. And the better a communicator I am, the better the podcast will potentially do. So I think that, you know, like the first 40 episodes of the podcast were audio only. I never put out a video of myself on the internet ever. And I I was creating content when I was 13, when I was 15, when I was writing blog posts. And I didn't start a video podcast because I didn't really feel comfortable on camera putting myself out there like that. So that was like one insecurity that I reached to be a better communicator because Gary Vaynerchuk was coming on the podcast. So I said like, oh, like, I want this to be seen by more people. So it doesn't matter if you're insecure, like you're just going to do it. And that got me deeper. And and then I started doing clips and it's like slowly but surely the insecurities come down Hmm. and you just start to be a better at connecting with other human beings. Because really that's what I'm doing. I'm connecting with human beings in the podcast, but I'm also connecting with human beings who watch it as well. And the more people I can bring into that and the deeper I can get with myself to lessen those insecurities, the wider the reach of the podcast. So I don't view them as disconnected. I view those two things as connected.
0: Mm, That's really cool, man. I like that take a lot. I'm curious, a big part of like why you mentioned insecurities and a big part of why I make this show is because I think in my past, I've definitely struggled with insecurity myself a lot. and And I want this podcast to be a space to explore insecurity and help listeners overcome insecurity. Because I think, especially in creative in the creative world, like it's fraught with insecurity, feeling like yeah. you're comparing yourself to people or you're not good enough, or you're hoping that certain people like it and they ne- you never get that external validation that you're wanting. I'm curious what you are insecure about or have been insecure about. And how you've either overcome that or are currently working to overcome those insecurities?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. Getting to a deep place. Um, I would say that, like I, I said before, I was insecure about putting myself on camera, and I think I got over that insecurity by by being forced to have a moment too big not to. Hmm. And and it's like some some people would hear that. Gary Vaynerchuk's coming on their 39th podcast ever and be like, oh, I can't do it. Like, that's too big for me. I I don't, maybe some people would do that. But to me, I couldn't imagine doing that. Mm. And it's like, if the universe hands me a moment like that, let me just lean into it. Um, And from doing that, it made me more comfortable. I wasn't good on camera at first. I don't know if I'm good on camera now, but it's like, I'm slowly getting there. And you could see the progression from the first one to the one today. But I mean, I'm just trying to broadly think of other insecurities. I was very insecure about like going to the gym at first because I was very scrawny. Like, I weighed 140 pounds mm. and uh, like 5'11, 140 pounds. So, like, it's like I'm so weak. I could barely do a push up. I can't do a pull up. I was working out for eight months before I could do a single pull up. Mm-hmm. Like, how crazy is that? Like, yeah. that just gives you a a sense. And so, I was really insecure about my body and not feeling. Like I was strong. Mm. And I mean, the way I got over that was by going to the gym sometimes, by not going to the gym at other times, and then making it more consistent overall. Mm. Um, but yeah, man, I don't like, I think life will hand each one of us a bunch of insecurities and the more that we can get over those by leaning into them. And I think a, a key part of this that might help people is like, look at somebody who's had that insecurity as well. Mm. and like ask them, what did they do? How did, and it's hard because sometimes no one is open about their, ins, people aren't insecure. Uh, they aren't open about the things they've been insecure about in the past. Right. And I mean, for me, it was like looking at Mike Fakanti, who I looked at, he was a personal trainer mm. and I would send him questions and I hired him to be my coach because I was like, okay, this dude looks similar to me in that he like weighs the same amount, is like the same height. And it's like, he clearly, like that's a body that I can attain in the future. Hmm. And so if I ask him questions, he might be helpful along the journey. Whereas someone like Bradley Martin, it's like, I'm never going to look like Bradley Martin it just because of his height, his weight. Like it's, so yeah, find people who are similar to you in the journey. And, re- and like, so a practical example of this, not insecurity-based, but I look at someone like Chris Williamson in the podcasting world. And I'm saying to myself, okay, Chris Williamson was somebody who was a former party dude who now is an intellectual and is really wise and like is on Joe Rogan and has amazing podcasts and asks amazing questions and is an unbelievable listener. So like, okay, if he could do it, then I could too, because he's coming from a similar place. Mm. And I think it's like, that one's not really insecure based, but like you look for models who you attach to. And I think we do this naturally. For like sure. who are people for you who you look at and you're like, wow, that person did that maybe in music or in podcasting or whatever. So like potentially I could as well if I apply the same effort and force to get there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the two like that stick out to me, I mean, I mean Chris is a great example for you. I definitely see the parallel. I think you're just a comment on that. I think you're just different enough because you're uniquely you and he's uniquely Chris. But I think it's a very cool direct comparison of like, that's somebody who you can like look at and kind of follow and examine. And, you know, I always like that piece of advice. Like you should be following people who are one or two steps ahead of you, not like a million miles ahead of you. So that's a, that's a cool one. But I would say like Tim Ferriss, I've been a huge fan of his for a long time. I think he's, he's also somebody who I've been really impressed with his growth, not only as an interviewer, but as a, person and he's been he's really shown his growth on the show through the years of like even just insecurity stuff that he's gone through in his past that's really hard to talk about and he started out as like the classic self-help bro but now a lot of what he talks about and goes into is very deep um i would say you know james clear is another one like i've always kind of wanted to be like the james clear of podcasting and i've been lucky enough you know we've had a few conversations. He's been on this podcast in the, in the past. And he's just like such a solid thinker and a clear thinker and a consistent like workhorse in a way that's just really impressive and really inspiring. Obviously. I mean, he's like the atomic habits is like the biggest selling book ever now, probably it's, <laughs> it's crazy. Um, but yeah, those are like some models for me who I look at and I'm like, you know, Tim Ferriss, like his podcasts don't sound amazing. Not, it's not like the craziest quality or anything. It's just like, amazingly well done interviews that he takes a mm-hmm. ton of time to prep for, asking the right questions at the right time, letting silence exist. Like there are so many interviewing hacks that I feel like I've learned from him. Um, so yeah, those are probably the two models, but I think that's a really good way to think about it. Um, and I think too, they're probably, you know, the little conversations I've had with James, but then also just from afar seeing Tim, I think that my insecurities would probably align with theirs too. If I had to guess of just like the... F- my like my deepest insecurity is a feel of failure. Like I, mm. I don't I don't want to fail, especially publicly. Mm. And that's been like such a crazy learning experience for me over the past few years. Cause like even with the show, like recently I put out the last episode actually, is all about how I fa- I tried doing a daily podcast and it just bombed, dude. It was so bad. It was like totally failed. But like what's crazy is owning that story. It like removes the power of the insecurity. Like when I'm willing enough to just talk about how I freaking failed at this, and and there are really cool learnings from it. I actually started my TikTok account, which has like been huge for growth for the podcast because of this experiment. So like it wasn't all bad, but yeah, dude, just publicly saying, Hey everybody, I bombed this thing I thought would work did not work. That (laughs) is one of the like scariest cliffs to be hanging over, but it's also like one of the most freeing things you can do is to just like lean totally into that insecurity of just saying man i failed i'm not perfect i messed up all these things um so yeah i don't i don't know if that really answers the question but that's kind of how it feels right now
1: well i think there's certain freedom in owning whatever mm-hmm. it is yeah like there's such freedom in it that i don't think people realize often that like when you're scared to do something or when you're in that position, you're almost giving power to the other people Hmm. to judge. But if you own it and say like, this is who I am, this is, you're taking ownership of it and you don't give the power to the other people. It's
0: eight mile. It's eight mile, dude. It's the, you know that part of eight mile?
1: Yeah, where he like says his own own insecurities first. yeah, And he's doing that because he doesn't give ownership. And so like the practical takeaway is like if you're a guy and you want to be with a woman and you see a cute girl and you're like, oh, wow, like she's really cute, but I don't want to talk to her. Imagine like if you go up to her, that's taking ownership of your perspective of yourself saying, I don't care what she says about me to the point where it's going to affect my own self-image. And so I think about it like that as well. Like, don't give other people power over you in these situations. Don't put them on such a pedestal. And you're doing the same thing when you're owning your failure. You're not putting other people's perspectives on a pedestal. Right. Like, and and it's hard too, because we have these people we look up to, and it would be very difficult if James Clear said, you know what? I saw you did that daily podcast. Like, you're not good, mm-hmm. right? Like, right. that's, that's like kind of where it stems from, I think at a deepest level. And Owning that it's okay if he says that and like your life will still go on is very difficult to do. But if you can get to that place, you are unstoppable.
0: 100%. Yeah. It's like this really resilient space of just trusting yourself. And I think if you drill deep enough down, it's ultimately about loving yourself. It's like, yes, I have enough self love. Like the guy talking to the cute girl in the bar or whatever. Like it's a silly analogy, probably, but like the guy has enough self love that. If no matter if the girl rejects him or decides to go out on a date with him, he can walk away like still loving himself no matter what. And like, but if you live your life so afraid of rejection all the time, you're never gonna fully live.
1: Mm-hmm. That no, it's so true. And I uh I, I've noticed like different times in my life when it's like and and I think another thing people should understand is like the people who are confident enough to walk up to the girl at the bar. And have enough self love to get rejected are the same people sometimes who didn't have that. Mm. And it's like if you don't have that, it's completely okay. Mm. Because the people who do often came from that place. You just haven't seen the full journey of it. Sure. And so it's pretty cool to think about like, oh shit, like I I could do that now. Like this is a, a different person. This is a new evolution. Mm. And that's what's the amazing thing about growth, tying it all together. For sure. It's like, It's like you need that space to grow so that you don't end up in the same place you were in high school where you're thinking the same thoughts, acting out the same character, but your potential could have been to walk up to that girl at the bar.
0: 100%. Yeah. It's like, I think a lot of, it's hard for people to believe that they can change themselves. I think in a lot of, this might be a hot take. I don't really care, but I think in a lot of society right now, it's, 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 um, a lot of people have a very static mindset. Like I was Mm. born this way. I was born into these circumstances, you know, for me, like my, a lot of my insecurities stem from like my family situation, the way I was raised, like stuff I went through as a kid where like, I could just keep redirecting my life to like, well, I'm fucked up because that was fucked up. But it's like, in reality, I do have a choice in the matter of like, Oh sure. was that whatever happened to you in your past or whatever, like that's, very much real and needs to be honored but it's also like you don't have to just stay there forever you can also grow mm. into the person you want to become and it's not going to be easy it's a journey to what you're describing but we're not static objects like we should be growing and and maturing and and becoming the people who we dream we we want to become you know
1: there's something that's really resonated with me recently that's just stuck in my mind and it's viewing the past as fate and the future as free will is the key unlock to happiness. Mm. And it, it's gone so far where I've thought about like, should I just get tattooed to my left, left arm or left wrist, fate, and the right arm, free will, and like looking at them? Because it's like, I think so much unhappiness comes from switching it up. It's like people will get so upset about the things that has already happened and try to fight and argue with the reality of the situation of the past and view that like they they're playing in their mind oh i can change the past i can change the past if only this then i would be better but at the same time they're viewing the future as it's going to be that way it's fate it's we're we're done we're doomed because of the things that happened when you realize and switch it up for people where you view the past as whatever happened it is what it is and the future is i can make a change in this moment that to me, like having that in front of mind is so, so important. It's led to so much growth for me personally.
0: Dude, that's a mic drop. <laughs> that's crazy. <laughs> like That's so true of, of just the perspective of thinking how much time we, we toil in our brains to try and change the past. Mm-hmm. And we're just convincing ourselves that our future is set in stone and how, <laughs> how incredibly wrong that equation is. It's a really powerful way
1: to look at it. And I think that's why having something, a physical practice that changes your body shows the proof that the future is free will. And the reason why I say this is because it's like you could see the difference that a decision you made led, led to an actual physical change that looks better to you. And you're like, wow, this is crazy. Like I put in this work and it did this result. And it, was, and it didn't look like anything in that day. that week, there was no change. And so if you can understand that, that day and week, you might not see any change. Month, you might see a very little change. But if you stay at it for many months at a time, which or many years at a time, which is often what it takes to actually move a boulder, you can achieve far more more than most people because most people stop doing those things that will actually lead them to a place because they don't see the result after the day or the week. And so I... It started for me with seeing the physical change of like, oh, okay, if I do this action long enough, the results will also follow. And um, I, that's why I recommend it for anybody in their early, you know, early 20s or 30s or 40s. Like it doesn't really matter your age, but for me personally, it was so good the way it happened at 22 when I started lifting weights. And I was like, oh, okay, like this is, this is the foundation of everything.
0: Right. Yeah, I definitely want to get into the fitness side of how you think and like what it means to you. But I do I do just want to say really quick, like Mm. one thing that I think is impressive about you and your journey to me on the outside looking in is your your not just your like willingness to endure, but your willingness to embrace incremental growth. I think that that is like that is the game of life in yeah. so many ways. And I think that, um, I've personally been inspired watching, watching you grow the podcast from afar because you haven't had like, at least from my eyes, you haven't had this one episode that's just skyrocketed you to like the, the I, top iTunes charts or whatever. It's been Damn. just grind day after day, interview after interview, after interview, clip after clip, after, like it's all these little tiny actions that are really built up. And I know, I know the show is still like you have huge aspirations for where you want it to be, but it's pretty cool. So like, just instead of... Because I think a lot of people would run from that process, that incremental growth is... Because it's hard. That's the problem. But well, what's really a, to run from? To, yeah.
1: You know, like, what am I running? Like, this is... The, the thing is, there's no difference between me and Joe Rogan if I decide that I'm going to do the same number of episodes per week as him, right? There's no difference between me and Chris Williamson if I say, okay, Chris Williamson did this at this point in his journey. I'm going to do the same thing. And like, we're, we're playing the same game and I already am that just time hasn't caught up yet. And I think like, it's okay if I never end up that because I enjoy talking to people. Yeah. Like that's where it all stems from. You, you're okay with incremental growth if you love the journey you're on. Mm. And so I, I really do love my journey. And so I want it to take a while. Like, I'm not trying to get there tomorrow necessarily. If I get there tomorrow, great. But if I don't also great, like, I'm writing down the Danny Miranda Podcast gets over one million downloads per month by January 2023. If I get there, awesome. If I don't, also awesome. I love the process of trying to achieve that. And I'm just excited by the the potential of where we're going. And if I have a massive uptick, great. But if I don't, I I also love the incremental growth too, because that's part of the game. Mm, That's awesome, man. What does fitness mean to you? Fitness to me means spending time, working on the physical body, like body, mind, soul. I would say that you have the, the mind piece. I mean, listen, fitness is also works on the mind as well, but I view it primarily as a body exercise and a body, a body pursuit. So I view it as working on the body. And for me, that's like lifting weights, walking, walking is fitness. Like if you don't, want to lift weights. If you don't want to go to the gym, like start with walking. It also means running. It also means yoga, stretching. Like all that to me is like fitness. You could make the argument that mental fitness is also the podcast. But like to me, like when I think of fitness, I think of the body pursuits. Mm. What does fitness mean to you?
0: Same. I think that yeah. I think that the two, for me, I've really locked in my, like I feel pretty locked in health for the first time in a bit um, nice. it's a good where, feeling. where it is. Yeah. And I think the, you know, the past year it's been really focused on strength training, just lifting weights recently. I've gotten huge into Andrew Huberman lately, like the rest yes. of the world, he's, he's <laughs> the best man, Peace. but you know, I started this practice recently where, you know, first thing in the morning we we're, we're fortunate enough that we have like a, a rooftop in our apartment and I'll just like go out there first thing in the morning with a jump rope and I'll just jump rope in the sun for like the first 20 minutes. I'll do a quick meditation. And dude, like it sounds corny and it sounds obvious and it probably is both, but it's it it's amazing how much that changes my entire day, just my brain and how good I feel mentally. And and I think I think it's Naval that just talks about, you know, if you're looking for peace of mind, you should find peace of body first. Like if your mind is going crazy, if you're anxious or depressed or whatever it is, like almost always the quickest way to finding relief is through exerting your body in some way, shape, or form. So I think that's what fitness means to me. Truthfully, I do it, you know, in the past, I've struggled with depression. And I think without question, strength training has been the greatest thing that's happened to me as far as my mental health. Even more so than my, I have so many goals for like where I want my body to be and how I want to look. But that's so secondary to all the mental benefits I, I get from it.
1: It's it's almost like what's beautiful about strength trading is that so often happiness is just progress mm. and it goes back to the incremental growth. And it's like, you can see, okay, I'm putting this on the bar this time. And last time I was putting this on the bar and you can say, wow, that feels good. For some reason, we get a dopamine mm-hmm. release when we see that happen. And it's it's beautiful. And, and it's like, that is a form of happiness to see that progress. And it, it's why... Growing the podcast for me is like a little bit better, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, and then so yeah, it's it's the same game, and it's all the same game, is what you realize. I feel like yeah, after a while,
0: that's really that's so a really cool way to see it. What happens if you miss a couple of days working out? What happens to Danny's
1: mind? Great question. And someone asked me on Twitter today, "How do you stay so consistent? Like how how are you doing this?" And I said, "I don't judge myself." when I fall down. Mm. Because I have these crazy aspirations for where I want to take the podcast, right? Like I said today on Twitter, I want to sell out Madison Square Garden for 20,000 people. That is a crazy aspiration. I don't know if any podcast that's ever done that. But I also know that if I post two podcasts in July of 2022, it's all good. Like July of 2022 is not going to make or break me. What's going to make or break me is the fact that I'm still doing it in 2027 or 2032. And so I didn't judge myself for posting two podcast episodes in July where I would have in the past and I would have quit. And I would have said, I'm not built for this. I'm not made for this. I, I can't do this anymore. Clearly, I don't want it that badly if I only did two. No, I said, that's fate. That's what happened. And now let's do what we're capable of doing, what we know we've done, what I enjoy doing. So. I don't judge myself if I only go to the gym once in a week, Hmm. right? Because I know the next week I can go three times or four times or five or six. And I know that life has peaks and valleys for different pursuits. Sometimes you're feeling the podcast. Sometimes you're feeling your body. Sometimes you're feeling your mind. And that's all good. Like, listen to yourself. Like there's some truth in whatever you're feeling in the moment and life is seasons. So the, the problem with getting too down deep into the self-help world or self-improvement world is you start to feel like you need to be maxing out at everything at every moment. Right. And let me tell you, you do not. You do not need to do that. So yeah, that by giving myself love and realizing that it's all good if I fall off because I'll, I'll be right back there in two seconds. Mm. And I bet it, it,
0: that mindset also helps you get back In two seconds, because I think a lot of people, you know, they'll, they'll quit on something or they'll not go, they'll have these crazy new year's resolutions. I think that's the best example where I'm going to get fit. This is what everyone says. And then, you know, you do two or three days and then you stop going and then you feel so bad that you like quote unquote failed in your mind that you just stop altogether. But I feel like what you're describing is like, I don't sweat it if I miss a workout or if I miss two workouts, because I know that I'll just be back next week and I'll make up for it. And time you're not you're not thinking in like the short term. You're thinking in the long term of like time will add up to where me missing this workout today over the next five years, it's not gonna matter. As long as I keep what will matter is if I stop going altogether, you know? And that's a really, really powerful way to look at it, I think.
1: Decades, not days, right? If you're working out so that you can play around with your grandchildren and you can be fit and healthy even at seventy or eighty. It's an entirely different game than if you're looking to get jack tomorrow. And I'm looking to get jack tomorrow, but I'm also looking <laughs> to my grandchildren as well. Yeah, dude.
0: No shame in, in broing out a little bit while we're here. It's both. It's both. <laughs> it's it <is> for sure. <laughs> hey, can we nerd out about podcasting for a bit? I want to. Can't wait. Yeah. All right. Let's. What do you do the ten minutes before an interview?
1: great question so i'll send you the the breath work the four minute breath work that i've started to do a lot which i really enjoy i didn't do it for this episode but it's it's not like i have to do it but i i enjoy doing a four minute breath work it takes me into my body takes me into my heart and it's just good for energy i also there was a point in time when i was big on a tony robbins 10 to 15 minute breath work session. I'll send you both of those and you can uh, put them in the show notes for people as well. Um, What else? Taking a walk around with no technology is helpful Mm. as well. These aren't like, I must do these because this is also the other thing. If you have the situation of I must do these, then what if the situation calls for it where you have an interview that's coming up right now and you didn't do it and then you start to feel superstitious about it. So these are like things that I can do to put me in an even better state. Sure. But I'm always on. I like to say the whole, my whole life is a podcast and just sometimes it's recorded. So mm. that makes me feel at peace for whatever happens. That's cool.
0: Is it the same for, I understand this is like more ideal situation versus like every single time, but like, is mm. it the same for
1: in person podcasts? Yeah. I mean, I did some breathwork sessions before the in person sessions. And also, what was interesting about the, the four minute or five minute breathwork I did was that I woke up in a new location feeling stuffed up. My nose was stuffed. Mm. Like I had allergies or something like that. I did three rounds of this and it went away completely. Whoa. And I was like, wow, this is a real superpower. Like, I'm so grateful I found that out from that situation. Yeah, Because you wake up, you, you have three interviews in, in one day and you're like, oh no, like I'm sick today. Like this can't, this happen. can't happen. But you, you have a backup with that. Um, breath work and you're like wow like this makes a huge difference
0: yeah that's really cool i feel that's so good man i try and do like a similar ish thing usually it's more meditation versus breath work i'm getting more into Mm -hmm. breath work now but i find like like for instance this interview i didn't do anything beforehand and i and like in the first five minutes i feel myself settling in and I don't like that feeling on a podcast because I like to feel settled in like the very first, you know, right when I hit record, like to feel good. And I think like that taking that 10 minutes, 15 minutes right before, to just like kind of center yourself and reconnect with you is the best way to start. I'm curious, I think you've probably talked a fair amount about how you approach interviewing and things like mm-hmm. that. What I'm really fascinated by, and I, I recently was on, I was a guest for another show called Stamina, and we talked a lot about like What happens after hitting publish? So I would love for you to just Mm. go through, because I think this is where most creators go to die, is they hit publish (laughs) and just wait and hope somebody comes and listens or watches there. What is your process after hitting publish?
1: Yeah, so I'll tell you my process today is like, just go to Final Cut Pro and start chopping up clips. Like my job and life depends on it and post them on TikTok but it's nothing too fancy i mean I'll, I'll throw a tweet out there i'll throw an instagram post of you watch it on youtube watch it on spotify watch it on apple pod or listen to it on apple podcast spotify i'll post that on instagram maybe i'll write a thread about it sometimes those have been those have hit uh in the past but i don't have like a formal Do this, do that, do that. It's honestly just listening to my heart of like, where do I feel like posting this in this moment, and understanding that TikTok is the thing and YouTube Shorts are the thing that I'm focusing on now. So let's put our mental energy into that. Is kind of the approach that I've taken.
0: Yeah, I would love to get your take on the state of podcasting right now. Like, I'll kind of reiterate what I said on this other show, but for me, I've been in the podcasting space for a long time. I did it as my job for. A, like a big media company before starting my own. And I and what I said on that show is basically the best time to have started a podcast is like pre-2016. I would say the second best time is right now because a podcast is so amazing as it's like the best way to get source material for all of these platforms that are just juicing content that's super native to podcasting. So if you get an, like this hour-long conversation we have, you and I will both get 10 clips that go on Reels, TikTok, YouTube, Shorts, all this stuff that it's just going to go crazy on all these platforms. And maybe nine out of those 10 don't do anything. But one of those clips might go and gain you like an actual real, move move things forward a little bit. I'm curious your thoughts because I know you've really gone hard into the space of doing the clips with social and all of that stuff. How has that been for you as far as growing the show? How have you felt about it? Like, How's, how's that been for you?
1: Yeah. So I think a key point, I think one, you're so right. Like the smartest people I know are all creating podcasts or have built podcasts. And I think the reason for that is because you get the clips, you get the conversation, but you also get the connection with the person who is a smart person usually who's like interesting. And you're like, wow, like this person's now a friend. I could text this person. What's going on? Like, this is crazy. Um, So that's, that's one thing about podcasting in general, but you know, I think a lot of people look at it as a vacuum. Like the question that I've gotten so often is like, how many downloads have you seen from 4.7 million views on TikTok over the last month and a half? It's like, I don't know, man. But I do know that from blowing up on TikTok or like having a few clips go, I've now been asked to be on This Week in Startups. And now I've been asked to be on Make Something Cool. And now, you know, like you you start to see like, oh, it's all exists in a vacuum and it's not siloed to like TikTok equals right. podcast downloads. Not at it's all. It's like the first time I watched Joe Rogan, I didn't, I watched a clip and was like, ah, oh, that's cool, sick, like seems like a smart guy. Like, nice question. Second time, I was like, wow. Okay, two ta- Third, I was, whoa, what's going on? You know, and then the 17th time I listened to that, I was like, All right, oh, I'll go download like, it. Let me, I'll
0: go listen. I'll subscribe. Let me go download yeah, it. exactly.
1: So yeah. I, I think people look at it so short term and like, all right, I'll do this, but only if I get this amount of, like, dude, it doesn't work like that. Just like play the long game. Exactly.
0: I feel very similarly where like, you know, like recently I had like this, it was so funny because I had this clip with, I, I think you've had Rory Sutherland. Have you had Rory on your show?
1: amazing i gotta do clips for his episode dude his clips
0: clips for me have they've been the best on tiktok because he's just such an awesome dude genius definitely go clip your your rory interview because he's awesome but um it was funny dude like i did one very random clip from him and it went really well on tiktok i think it was like 300 i think it's like at 350k views or something which for me is like really big no it's big it's big big for anyone like so that, and instantly it's like, I saw a little spike in podcast download numbers after that. But what was even crazier is just like the follower count on TikTok and then the videos that preceded it, the, the baseline audience starts to grow, starts to grow and starts to grow. Yes. And what I think people might be like, whoa, like that's a bummer that you're, you had this one video that had 350K views or whatever. And then your next one had 10K. That's a huge drop in the numbers but in reality it's like but my new baseline is so much higher and over enough time if enough people see this content and they dig it to your point if I keep showing up in their feed and they think enough times like oh this is cool like these guests are smart and they have cool stuff to say eventually they will check out the show because that's what I've done all the podcasts I've ever checked out it's like because I've heard it from word of mouth or there are enough times of me interacting with it in these social platforms from like oh This person is really smart. I want to go check out what they're up to. So I think you're spot on in like playing the long game and like waiting too long or like hoping that it's going to spike your audio numbers or whatever. Don't play that game. Play like the awareness. Like you're just trying to get people aware of what
1: you're doing. Yeah. And it's, it's slow over time. It'll, it'll lead to, and it'll lead to opportunities Mm. in different places. And also what was interesting, you said 350 K I started to notice that people I knew or people who the other person knew happened around the 100K mark of like, if a video got 100,000 views, that meant that somebody I know or somebody that the guest knows will text that person and be like, yo, I saw you on TikTok. Right. And that's the point where I'm like, yo, these are real people. Mm-hmm. Like it looks, it's it's 100K, but that's like Madison Square Garden five times over. Right. And so I think that, it's, it's cool when you hear people understand that they've been recognized from things that you created. And it's like, whoa, this is weird now. It is, dude, um, for sure. But yeah.
0: I've seen you on TikTok, bro. You've reached my feed.
1: <laughs> <That's> <laughs> yeah, it. Dude. I hope yeah, so. dude, which is
0: super cool <laughs> yeah. to think about. Um, yeah. Yeah, dude, I, lo- I love this conversation. I think like, yeah, I think to wrap up, I mean, the big things I feel like we, we discussed is like like falling in love with incremental growth falling in love with the process Mm -hmm. versus like being so focused on the result. I'm curious now, maybe you've been doing this for a couple of years, really consistently. I'm imagining somebody, maybe Danny two or three years ago when you were first getting started, what's some advice you would give to Danny two, three years ago when you're getting started on this journey of creating a podcast or creating or creating anything?
1: Okay. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's like, understanding that the creations could take different forms and being okay with that and following your own curiosity and wondering and being in touch with where you're getting your joy from. I started in September of 2019, October of 2019. It was about becoming a personal trainer Mm. and helping people with fitness is what I was creating content around. And then I was like, you know what? This doesn't have enough ideas for me. This isn't about uh, wisdom or thoughtfulness and and the books that I'm reading, how do I get those involved? And there are ways I could have put them together. But, and Matt McLeod is a friend of mine who does a great job of that, of putting his content in. And that's like thoughtful and and he's a personal trainer as well. But I mean, for me, I would say just like, look at the way in which you're creating and ask yourself, would I enjoy doing this for 10 years? And it doesn't mean you have to, but understanding that like, okay. I like this podcast enough where I could see myself doing it ten years from now, mm. and if if that's like creating short form videos of you talking to the camera, which I've tried, I've done different, I've gone up to people in the streets and asked them questions. I've you know I I was writing blog posts, I was tweeting. Some of those things stayed, some didn't, and it's okay. And it's all just passed along the journey, and um, just continue to seek out and look for people who. You connect with who maybe are at similar points to you in your own journey is really helpful. And instead of like putting James Clear on the pedestal or putting Chris Williamson on the pedestal, like try to be friends with the people who might be the next James Clear, there might be the next Tim Ferriss or Chris Williamson. So for me, that's what I think about. I think about one, find a way of creating that's authentic to you, and two, make friends with people, literally. Find ways to call them up on the phone that's authentic. Do video chats, meet them in person. Like the people are really where I get all the joy from and I think has been the best part of the journey. So really double down on the people and your own authentic creations.
0: I love that. There is one thing I want to touch on in that. And it's something that I think a lot of people struggle with, myself included. But you mentioned like you've tried writing blog posts before. I think you've had like a newsletter. You might still have a newsletter, things like that in the past that maybe you're not doing as much now how, how did you approach letting those things go? Because I think a lot mm. of people, when it comes to content creation, you kind of, you sign up to try something and there's this invisible voice or whatever that's like, you, you're signing up to do this for life, kind of. It's, it feels scary. <laughs> and maybe that's just my own head. But I'm curious, how was letting those things go for you? Was it hard or did it feel just like, oh, this has run its course, I'm done?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's hard because sometimes people really enjoy the things you've created that you're letting go. And I think it wasn't. I did the newsletter for, I think, like 50 or 60 issues every Tuesday, and I stopped doing it. And I just wasn't getting joy from mm. it. And there was nothing wrong with that. Like, there were people who were upset at that and be like, oh, I love the newsletter so much. Like, it was, I look forward to it every week. And I was really grateful to hear that. But I also knew that continuing it and doing it while I wasn't enjoying the process would make me unhappy with myself. Mm. And I have to put myself ahead of those people as sad as that is. And if I want to continue, that's what I need to do. And it's almost like not putting your followers on a pedestal. Mm. It's all circling back. Yeah. It's like if you have enough self-love for yourself to say, listen, I know you enjoy that, but I don't enjoy creating that. And I have to do what's best for me. And I hope you appreciate that. And I hope you check out the podcast because that's really where I'm getting more joy. Like, please do that. But if you don't, I totally understand as well. And that, that's how I've kind of approach letting go is like it's all good. Like I don't write a newsletter anymore. It's all good. Like you you'll be okay and I'll be okay and I'll be (laughs) even better than okay and I'll do my my new creations with more okayness. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. That's really cool. Well Danny, dude, thanks so much for being on. Uh I mean I know everyone should go listen to the podcast. Where do where do you want people to come find you, man? I know obviously listen to the show, TikTok, YouTube. You're going hard on those platforms. Where do you want people to find you?
1: Yeah, I would say YouTube right now. I'm trying to build up the YouTube drop a comment on one of the the videos that you see maybe a a full length video because I I check those more strongly than the shorts shorts get out of control sometimes but yeah check a just check out the podcast on YouTube or listen to it on Spotify let me know what you think on YouTube and I'm really grateful for being here as well as your like your demeanor—I I describe Chris Williamson sometimes. as like having a lot of peace and presence, and it's one thing I admire about him tremendously. And I felt that very strongly from you in this interview. So thank you,
0: thanks Danny, appreciate it, man. Really psyched you were on the you're on the show this week. I know people will love it. So, and uh, yeah, lastly, thanks to everyone listening. If you enjoyed the show, please head over to alexsug.com and sign up for the newsletter, and I can let you know when new episodes drop. And last but not least, this episode was edited and produced by Josh Perez. If you're looking for help with your podcast, Josh is the dude. He's a great producer and an even better human being. So please get in touch with him at justjoshperez.com. I'll be back soon with another new interview. So until then, let's go make something cool.